In this true crime law and order podcast, the episodes are presented by two separate yet equally ridiculous individuals, one who researches the actual crime and the other who recaps the episode. These are their stories. Well, hello. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing since I saw, well, you just told me all about your day and I saw you last night. So... <laughs> Well, the one thing that's new in my life that I would like to share with the world and shout it from the rooftops because I'm oh. so excited. <laughs> yes, I know what this is. Yes, and it's going to sound like a uh, a repeat to the listeners because it's the same thing that's happening to ha- just recently happened to you. But Davy and I are getting another little child, a little furry angel. In Ugh. in people terms, that means a dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and you're debating names. It's another dachshund, but it's going to be smaller than Neville. Yes. So, and, and a little darker. Exactly. We're really, really excited. It's, um, so we have Neville. He's our current child, <laughs> light of our <laughs> your lives. El- your eldest. <laughs> He's our eldest. <laughs> Neville is our two year old, beautiful dachshund. And is he only two? Yeah. He's two, well, he's two and a half. Uh, well, that's great. Congratulations. Thank you. Very exciting news for us. And speaking of news, today's episode is, all. I feel like unintentionally we did what last episode we were already planning to do with these ones, <laughs> because episodes 15 and 16 of this season are a like part one and part two. And so we decided to break it up where we're going to do an episode that recaps the two episodes, and then the next episode episode will focus entirely on the true crime. And so Matt today is going to recap those two episodes. And then next week, I'm going to do the true crime. Yes. And I don't know what the true crime is. And I wanted to ask you if based on the true crime, do you think it's enough? Like, is it a big one? Oh, yes. I figured it has to be based on the episode. But as I told you, I don't know a lot about this world of crime. So I wouldn't I wouldn't even be able to venture a guess. So it's just so interesting because I feel like, you know, that it's such a thing that my West Coast brain associates with East Coast, um, like specifically the New York area, because I feel like when whenever you see like mobster movies or things like that, it's always New York. Yes, it's always New York or like Chicago. Or oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, I totally yeah, I'm Italian and I grew up in a very Italian area and often organized crime is associated with Italian. So sure, you would think it would be like clued in. I'd be more clued into it. But I think that's kind of the reason I wasn't like I grew up in a very, very Italian area, which I love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, I also grew up around a lot of like, how can I put this kindly? I went to school with a lot of people who <laughs> emulated the idea of being this like machismo italian dude right you know like hey like you i do what i want i don't care like the little lady is <laughs> making making dinner and you know like that sort of like traditional like macho thing and closeted little me wanted nothing to do with any <laughs> anything that looked like that <laughs> right it was like that is scary to me i these are the people that are gonna like beat me up (laughs) these are the people who i need to be most careful around so well do you have any anything to add before we we get into this recap extravaganza (laughs) yeah i don't think so i haven't watched any like other true crime things recently i've been watching a lot of married at first sight 
uh, and catching up on, you know, just like nine seasons of that in the last week and a half. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, that's that's it. I'm good. I'm ready. I'm ready too. We, we the only it's not true crime. The only crime thing I watched was we just we I just finally finished How to Get Away with Murder after oh, right. so long. I've like watched the first few episodes of this final season when it first started airing. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, we're watching so many things. I'll just watch this when I can like zoom through it. And like a year later, <laughs> here I am finishing it. But I think it ended pretty well. I think uh, while I think that the st- I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but while I think the storyline they ended up keeping as their prevailing like ultimate narrative, mm-hmm. I thought it was a little bit of a, st- a tiny bit of a stretch based on the other seasons. I'm sorry. You thought a later season of How to Get Away with Murder was a bit of a stretch? That <laughs> well, show was a bit of a stretch five minutes into the first episode. Oh, oh 100%. <laughs> Every moment that happened on that show could have been avoided if people just stopped for one second, one millisecond, and thought, what the, what, who in their right what mind are, would do this? Right. At all? What are we doing? But yeah, they wrapped it up. Well. I liked, I liked the storyline they went with. I thought it was like really interesting and a good twist. And, you know, there was a lot of beautiful moments because of it, but I don't know. I thought it was a little bit of a stretch, but I love Shonda Rhimes. So <laughs> I'll allow, it. I'll allow it. <laughs> like, who am I? <laughs> I'll allow it. Shonda Rhimes this yeah. time. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. But, Back to this show. Well, let's start with this show. Back to this show for the first time. (laughs) We, uh, as you said, this is two episodes we'll be doing today. So this is uh, season one of Law and Order episodes 15 and 16, The Torrents of Greed. And uh, I think this episode two, my notes are a lot shorter. So, you know, don't worry when we get to episode two and you're like, uh, are you going to do that? all over again <laughs> i mean i feel like episode two i honestly think that the reason this was two episodes was because they realized it was just a little too long of a story for one episode and so they kind of stretched it out in episode two yeah i feel like there was a lot of back and forth meetings with people that didn't need to happen didn't need to happen at all yeah so uh you know we were talking about episode titles and the episode title is referenced pretty early in the episode and that's when i'll explain what it means okay so, uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. These episodes have a lot of characters with a lot of, like, Italian last names. And oh, boy. And a lot of men. I had a hard time. Yeah, it's hard to keep everyone up, like, not apart. What's the word I'm looking for? To keep everyone distinct? identifiable. To, yeah, to keep everyone distinctly from different from each other, even watching it. So I'm yeah. going to do my very best. I think I, I think I got them all good watching it a second time was a lot easier to did you do what i did uh with the last one where i called them boy one two and three <laughs> i actually was like that was my plan my plan was to assign them like nicknames but after <laughs> i was doing it with like two of them i was like this is kind of mean <laughs> the nicknames i'm coming up with <laughs> okay well i'm but curious. I did something similar I, i'm really there's one character who i I was like, this is exactly what I would call him if I was in charge of recapping this episode. So it'll be interesting to see what you come up with. I have a lot of uh, of descriptions for the people, so I'm, I can't <sighs> wait. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, yes, we're going to I'm going to try to keep everyone on the same page as I and I'm going to try to transport us into the episode. <laughs> Just like <laughs> Ghost Rider. <laughs> or Blue's Clues. So. Uh, your prediction from a previous episode, I want to hearken back to it because we are here. 
You said Thank you. One third of the next fifteen episodes will open with beat cops and a dog discovery will happen also. So out of the three episodes since you've made that prediction, this is the second one that we indeed begin with beat cops. <laughs> so I have like twelve more episodes where I only have to get three beat cop openings. It's it's it you're gonna get it. I mean, I think we're gonna I'm sure I'm gonna get it. There's a possibility, because we're gonna transition into season two by the time before that oh. prophecy's over, I think, because we're already on season episode sixteen. I don't think it's a yeah. thirty episode season. So maybe they No, have, I think it's like twenty or twenty one. Yeah. So I really think your best bet is to get it in this season. Because maybe they figured it out by next season. Okay. Doubt, doubtful. I've I've been watching Law and Order <laughs> for a long time. They didn't yeah. figure it out. So yeah, so no dog discovery, but two out of three already. And as I said, we open the episode with two B-cops <laughs> waiting outside of a <laughs> convenience store for it to open. And they're behaving like two teenage boys uh, playing Halo 3, <laughs> surrounded by empty Dorito bags. They're like ogling girls on the street and snacking and talking shit. <laughs> you mean the woman jogging by in a set of overalls? Oh, Like yeah. jogging. Yeah, she's jogging overalls. by and the guy's like, take a look at that. And they like come to a and woman like, in overalls and I was like, where, where is there, is she blocking something? <laughs> What am I looking at? I'm like, I mean, can you get out of the, the oddity of somebody like exercising in overalls. <laughs> yeah. I was like, can you, can you move aside, ma'am? Like you're in the shot. They're clearly <laughs> looking at something. <laughs> there must be something I'm trying to see here. Oh wait, it's you. Okay. Right. So, uh, meanwhile, while they're in the car having this like, you know, clearly casual moment, they cut to scenes inside the store where we see an older gentleman <gasps> and he's either playing Marco Polo or being assaulted. <laughs> it's hard to okay. tell. <laughs> it was exactly like the assault sequence in the last episode where it was like so many jump cuts because they couldn't figure out how to choreograph this well it was like you would see like a, a still image of somebody's fist next to somebody's face and then it would be like blammo <laughs> it was literally like hiya punch <laughs> kick and while i kick you move a little to the left and i'll i'll punch really slowly so i don't hit you don't worry <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure they like literally like uh recorded it at normal speed and then sped it up so it looked like he was punching him but he was actually just like touching his fist to his chest <laughs> it literally reminded it was... me, reminded me of when you play marco polo in the pool and like the person with their eyes closed is coming near to you so you like put your arms up and move like slowly to the right <laughs> that's literally what it felt like i don't even know how this guy landed a hit <laughs> but you know there are a bunch of cut scenes and at the end of it uh, the two guys are outside in the car, not noticing anything going on inside. It's it's happening pretty quickly. As the gentleman, the unidentified man who, you know, put the, the Marco Polo hurt on this guy, as he's leaving, <laughs> they show like his shoes, he's well-dressed, and he walks past a transient man on the street who now seizes the opportunity to like make a quick buck and he runs inside. So one of the officers is getting impatient in the car as all of this is happening. And so he comes to the door of the, you know, place, the convenience store. And instantly my like PTSD from working at Starbucks for 11 years kicked in. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, it's me standing inside of my store before we're open at like 4.56 a.m. And I'm watching the people start to stand at the door and <laughs> waiting. And I just was like, oh no. The oh anxiety just immediately kicked in. It's like... People out, don't do that. Don't do that. Wait in your car. There is no reason to stand outside of a store that does not have a doorbuster special 
before it opens. It's not Six Flags. It's it's a coffee <laughs> shop. You will get in. We'll unlock the door, no matter where you are. And just so you know, if you're standing outside the door when someone's opening, they're going to take longer on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> there have been times when I work at Starbucks. <laughs> I work at Starbucks in the morning when people would do that. And uh, this was mostly in Jersey because our newspapers would get delivered before I'd open the door. And sometimes if it was like three minutes till opening and the newspaper was outside and there were people outside, I'd walk to the door and open it. And the people would think I was letting them in. And I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just grabbing the paper. (laughs) (laughs) I'd lock the door and make them wait two more minutes. I could have just got the paper like when I opened the door for them, but it just... I'm like, you know what? If you're going to be this obnoxious, you're going to get a little bit of it You're going to get it. <laughs> oh, wow. This, That's funny. <laughs> yeah. In this situation, it's, you know, it's probably for the best that he got to the door because as soon as he gets there, he looks inside and he sees the guy lying unconscious on the floor. So he busts in, he calls for backup, and we get the opening You forgot credits. that when he, like, sticks his, uh, what's it called? Nightstick? Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the through, nice stick, I guess. Through the glass of the door, and he's, like, breaking all the glass around. It sounds like a wind chime factory. <laughs> like, the sound effect was not breaking glass. It was like, ding, ding, ding. It sounded like a Florence <laughs> and the Machine song opening. <laughs> it sounded like uh, the... <laughs> Stop. I also thought it was funny that he broke open the door and took all this time. He like smashes the glass and then he reaches in and like struggles to unlock. Just go through the door. You just broke the glass open. (laughs) He's like fiddling with the the lock from the inside and like he can't get it. I'm like, you literally just opened a plate glass door. Just walk inside. (laughs) Ridiculous. Yeah. Well, you know, it cuts to the opening credits. Speaking of ridiculous. And as you know, the opening credits roll, so I have plenty of time, and so I decided to transcribe the King James edition of the Bible <laughs> onto a grain of rice. <laughs> Just a little side project. Yeah, yeah. And then I put it on a necklace. I'm going to sell it at a fair. Um, but for now... <laughs> Open your Etsy store. <laughs> exactly. So we're, uh, we're back on the scene when we come back. And the survivor of the crime is named Isaac Skolnick. He's had, uh, he's he's in really bad shape. He's not conscious. Um, they say it's a subdural hematoma. And they look at the scene and the cash register is also empty. It looks pretty, like, messy, but it's clearly some sort of experienced criminal who did this because they were able to get in and out undetected, even though police officers were right outside, despite them staring at an overall runner. And uh, they get to the hospital and the, I guess, M.E. or doctor tells them that the victim is not conscious. He's still alive, but he's suffering from brain edema, spastic hemiplegia. And I thought, spastic hemiplegia? That was my nickname <laughs> in high school. <laughs> what? I, uh, yeah. It was another one of those scenes where he just read off a bunch of medical terminology in a row. 100%. Yes. <laughs> So uh, they 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 move on and they're trying to get more evidence and they ask a guy who delivers papers to the convenience store if he knows anything about Skolnick or if he knows anything about the neighborhood. So he identifies a transient man, the one we saw earlier, and so they bring him into the station for questioning. This man. <laughs> oh my God. His little opening monologue. It's like... He, I wrote, he must have 
been like a method actor for this. Like there's no <laughs> way he could have been this into it if he didn't decide like this is my my this is great. who I am now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the scene is him in an interrogation room and he's staring out towards the camera with a lit cigarette in his hand and like dim lighting and he says there is no fire like passion. There is no shark like hatred. No snare like folly. There is no torrent like greed. Um <laughs> Okay, C.S. Lewis. Can you tell us about the robbery? <laughs> Greavy like slams his hand on the table and is like, uh what are you talking about? <laughs> it was like the most relatable grievy moment I've ever seen. Cause he was yeah. like, Oh, okay, great. <laughs> but as you heard, uh, no torrent like greed, that's the title of the episode. And this is a quote from the Dhammapada. Dham- I'm going to, I'm definitely not saying this right. I've never heard that word. Yeah. It's a, it's a Buddhist text. Oh, and most of this text, uh, is attributed to be like Buddha's direct words so this is a buddha quote a quote from buddha okay well take out my joke about c.s lewis then because i totally thought it was just random lines (laughs) (laughs) i I thought it had to be a quote there's no way law and order wrote this into the episode out of nowhere Um, well remember the last episode where they were like shall i lash myself to the prow of the train nobody can redirect to the railroad (laughs) very true you know i think i just realized in this very moment why it's called the torrents of greed or like the second meaning of it. Anyway, I hope I remember that later on because it's a spoiler. <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. So you know he he tells them this Buddha quote and they're like very helpful. Someone's dead. Let's or someone's almost dead. So like let's get to the point. <laughs> uh, his lawyer busts in on this little monologue and says her client, whose name is by the way Edgar Hoover. Wait, what? Oh yeah, his na- you didn't get that part. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, his name was Hoover. They kept referring to him as Mister Hoover. And when she gets in, she's like Edgar, and then Grievy's like. <laughs> Edgar Hoover. I totally missed that. Wow. Yeah. And uh, she says he can't stand trial. And she says to him, she says to them, I'm sure you're familiar with the term incompetent. And uh, Mm. she has no idea how familiar with that (laughs) term they are. (laughs) You're like, "Uh, ma'am, did you see the episode where they were using salad tongs to search for evidence? (laughs) Did you see all of the episodes where they used a pen that was in their (laughs) mouth to move things around in blood? (laughs) Or where their main evidence was hypnotism. Oh my god. Or where the best way to stop a criminal is to grab the top of a trash can. Oh god. <laughs> so that they, they are familiar with the term. In any event, Hoover says, listen, I stole the money. He has a moment of lucidity. He breaks out of his like little monologue moment. And he says, I stole the money from the till. But it was like a pretty well-dressed guy who had already roughed up Isaac. And they're like, why'd you take the money then? He's like, well, the guy didn't think, looked like he needed it. He's not wrong. So the team thinks this could just be like a random act of violence, but Grievy has a hunch that there's more to it. So Logan busts into the room. There's a lot of busting into the room. Like a lot of the scenes we see with the law part are them busting into room with information. And a lot of the scenes in the order part are them just having random meetings with people. (laughs) So (laughs) Logan busts into the room and he says that there was a man recently that was beat to a pulp with the same MO, but he did not survive. And this is enough to cause them to investigate further. Um, This is also a scene where they refer to this man as the Indian over and over again. And I'm just going to like, oh, right. Yeah. So anyway, they decide this is enough cause to investigate further. But I would say, listen, a guy was like almost killed. Like, why not investigate further anyway? Anyway. (laughs) Does it have to be a big case? (laughs) So he's still not conscious in the hospital. 
And when they get there, his grown daughter is there. And she says that he had no enemies. You know, that's the usual. No enemies, no one, no shady business. I can't imagine what could have happened. And they're, you know, asking her, like, was he possibly involved with any shady people, any business like that, borrowing money, gambling? Not really sure why they go that route right away. It seems, I guess maybe they already had an idea of what this was from the jump, which is weird because that's not made clear. But yeah. she says he doesn't need to gamble because he makes $75,000 a year. And so she, they put a little pressure on her about like, well, if, you know, this could happen again. And she all of a sudden says there was a time she was there when they received a call from a man named Pilevsky and she, he seemed frightened by it. But that's all she knows. So Joe Pilevsky, they do mm-hmm. a, uh, I guess, what do you call that? Like a background check. And he's got a rap sheet full of alleged crimes, but no convictions. And the only witnesses they have is, well, the only witness they have is Edgar Hoover. (laughs) And little orphan Annie. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But um, they they have him in an interrogation room and he IDs Pilevsky from a photo lineup pretty instantaneously. He's very sure. And so um, they have enough to go pick up Pilevsky for questioning. They bring him in and... Joe Pilevsky, the actor who plays him, has gone to the Christopher Walken School of Affectation. Shut the fuck up. That's exactly who I was going to say. If he, if I were in charge of the episode, I would call him Christopher Walken. Oh, he looks, he even looks Identical. like him. Like he looks uh, 100%. like him. He speaks in his manner. His voice is a little different sounding, but it's the same affect. Yeah, they could absolutely play siblings on a TV show. Yeah. I looked up all of these actors, by the way, because I just was so curious if they were in like the godfather or like other like <laughs> bits like this you know mobstery things yeah yeah but i only am going to point out the ones that i actually found stuff on not Pilevsky's not one of them he's a canadian actor who's been in a bunch of stuff up there but nothing i've heard of so maybe maybe big actor who knows anywho they uh they now cut to a character that's in the room with them that they just haven't shown yet and when they first showed his face <laughs> I thought it was a Gorg from Fraggle Rock. (laughs) (laughs) Are you talking about his lawyer? Yes. He is a full-on Muppet. But he, yeah, it's just his attorney. He's human. (laughs) He's not being uh, puppeteered. (laughs) Yeah, he says you guys don't have anything, and everything that you're asking us doesn't proves that you have nothing. So are we done here? And so they kind of head out, and Logan says to the to the team like he's mobbed up and we all know it is that the phrase he uses yeah he says he's mobbed up and we all know it and uh while this may be that he's involved with the mob or mafia this could be true uh there's no evidence and craigan says we got quote zip bupkis zero (laughs) i bet he's good at categories (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's really good at synonyms (laughs) and then they get a call and he says they've got less than zero because they find out that Hoover, who they had put up at a hotel, has passed away. And when they get there to the hotel room, um, it looks like there's foul play. There's a bottle of alcohol on the bed, so it's insinuated he could have drunk himself to death. And I think that's what it's meant to look like. But it's insinuated through the whole episode that there was obviously foul play. Right. And the hotel manager comes in, and she's Mrs. Hannigan from Annie. And she <laughs> says, uh, someone better pay for the day. I don't care if he's dead. <laughs> entrepreneur yeah she was getting her coin (laughs) yes so uh now oh by the way in this scene they must have hired like a fourth grade class to play a flutophone outro because it's like the most (laughs) (laughs) like 
<laughs> what is a flutophone? <laughs> I should have said recorder. Um, oh. When I was in school, I'm going to, this is my guess. I think our school was a little cheap or didn't have the funds. So when everyone else in other schools got recorders, we got flutophones. <laughs> I don't even know what a recorder is, to be honest. Oh, okay. A recorder is that little... Most of the kids who had recorders when I was growing up were, they were like cream colored and it looks like a, kind of like a oboe or a clarinet. Uh-huh. And it's essentially just a plastic, like oh. wood, woodwind interest inter- instrument for children to like learn huh. on. So it's not like an instrument that you'll find in an orchestra? No, it's like the beginner version of like a woodwind instrument and it's held more oh. like a clarinet or an oboe than a flute. Like in front of you. Exactly. Like boop, boop, boop. Okay, yeah. And that's what a recorder is. And the reed, quote unquote reed, it's all plastic, but it's like removable oh. and goes back on so you can clean it. So you don't have to like suck on it. Exactly. But like all kids always like bit on their recorder thing and then you had to get it, you know. And the flutophone was even worse. It was the cheap version of that. It was way cheaper plastic that like the kind of plastic that like packaging <laughs> like a straw. is made out of. <laughs> no, like, like, a <laughs> like a pixie stick. Like saran wrap. <laughs> Remember when they started making water bottles really, really, really thin? Like before it was like they were rock solid and then suddenly they started making water bottle the plastic on water bottles really thin and you would like go to grab one and it would just like crumple in your it was like a ball. Oh of my water. god. Yes. And then if when you were finished with it, if you went to go crumple it, you is you cut your hand. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, anyway, so the yeah, the flutophone recorder outro happens as we discover that our our star witness, who wasn't a great witness in the first place, though, he is dead. So now they really have like nothing. Nothing. So oh, I got very very distracted by the flutophone. Did you get winded? <laughs> kind of. Um so now they're back at the station, and Logan discovers that Pilevsky was previously a co-defendant with um a person named Mario Zalta for extortion. And Mario Zalta has known ties to the Masucci crime family. Hey! <laughs> so Cragen warns them to tread lightly. You know, it's clearly a very big mob family. And so they say, focus on Pilevsky. Can I ask another, like, East Coasty question that maybe is really stupid? Okay, I'm sure it's not stupid. Well- when we were growing up in like the 80s and 90s, was it like were people like was the mob a thing that people like talked about or like worried about or it, is it like one of those things that I just saw represented in media more often than it really ever existed or happened? We talked about it in in like where I was living in New Jersey. Um, yeah, we definitely talked about it as as like youths growing up. I don't know okay. how the adults were talking about it at the time, but like we definitely talked about it in school. Like there were some Italian last names in our school that were like, I guess in our, in our town, there's a lot of like Italian last names that are like big families. Kind of known. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Like they're involved okay. in like, like the Manzos. Yes, exactly like that. Like that kind of thing. Um, Exactly. And so okay. we're actually, I've actually been to like that, the Brownstone where the Manzo's own. We've had like many family parties at that place. <laughs> oh, how funny. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But yeah, it's very much like that. And then I guess as kids, we were always like, oh, are you related to this person? If you had a certain last yeah. name and like there were certain kids that 
you know, people talked about and were like, oh, yeah, like their family's like really rich and they have this really big house and who knows where they got their money because their last name is okay. this, that kind of thing. But, so it's kind of one of those things like if you had like the right background and you just happened to have like a big enough family with enough money, it was sort of like, oh, we don't know. Yeah, it was always like talked about, whispered about who people were tied okay. to and if they were tied huh. to this or that. And there were sometimes crimes that would happen or like, um, like violent crimes that would be like, oh, I wonder if it was like you know, tied Mob to this, related. but it was always like, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And there was the Iceman okay. who was like a big mobster in the, oh God, I want to say the eighties or nineties. I, think I was immediately picturing the episode of charmed where the uh, villain is the ice cream man who steals children into another dimension. <laughs> oh my God. Same. Is that That's what him. happened? That was him. That's that him. episode That's of him. charmed was actually ripped from this headline. <laughs> <laughs> oh, charmed. Okay. They decide, based on this information, that they want to tread lightly and focus on Pilevsky because this is a big crime family. And so, uh, you know, Grievy and Logan are like, sure, we'll do that. But Grievy's got, he is very passionate about this, it seems like. And when have they ever trod lightly? Correct. Correct. Also, Only is when that they the right past tense? Uh, Treaden? Trodden? Tridden? I think it must be trod. <laughs> Let's do trodden. Let's do trod, okay. because uh, downtrodden is a word, so trod has to be a word, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'm right. Good. <laughs> so uh, Zolta looks like... Oh, so they go to meet Zolta, this gentleman. Zolta sounds like he's going to be uh, like fortune teller in a box. <laughs> Zoltar. Yeah. But is, uh, he is, he's got an import-export business, and they go to meet him, and he looks like the kind of guy who you'd see in like a commercial screaming in a room full of books to the camera that if you were in an accident or you have lead paint in your house or mesothelioma, that you could be owed a settlement. This is who he is. Oh, he's the one who like <laughs> opens his cupboard and there's way too much Tupperware lids and they all come tumbling out. No, he's the, he's the guy who's going to represent you. <laughs> oh, got it. Yes, he's like, of have course. you been the victim of an accident? You may be owed money. <laughs> Have you ever had a river of Tupperware fall on your head? <laughs> Have you ever bought a Snuggie and couldn't get out of it? Oh my gosh. So that's who this guy is. He's he's also um, very affected. Not as, not Christopher Walken affected, just I'm a mobster. Hey, yeah. I'm involved in, in uh, shady dealings. He says he's got nothing to do with any of these guys anymore. Yes, he was affiliated with them, and but he no longer. That was in the past. And as far as Pilevsky Pilevsky goes, he's not like a big, big wig in the organization, if he's any, anything. He's just like dumb muscle. So he says, if he ever did anything to any store owner on his own, of course, it was probably just impulse. And they're like, impulse, this just happens, like whatever. And he's like, it's New York, go figure. <laughs> I liked that line. Yeah. I mean, for how stupid it was. I mean. Yeah. So uh, they, they head out and they see one of Zolta's delivery drivers and he's hot Oh, I missed him. He was very cute. I was like, oh, of course, this is his only scene. So they, they press him for some more information about the business and what is he exactly importing and exporting as he's like eating a sandwich on break. And uh, he says, I don't know anything about what we sell. We sell all types of stuff. We, we have like lamps and whatever. And then he's like, oh, really? Just lamps? And then he's like, listen, uh, we all kind of know who Zolta hangs around with, and I'm not getting involved in any of that. So... Mm -hmm. Not my problem. And Logan goes around and grabs a pack of cigarettes from one of the open boxes and notices it has no tax stamp. So Zolta appears to be bootlegging cigarettes. Boom. Ba -ba -bum. So Cragen back at the office is actually pissed because, yes, this is great 
um, information, but they can't use any of this as evidence because there was no warrant. There was like literally no official police work done whatsoever to get this. Um, so what else is new for Logan and Grievy? What was that thing we said about incompetence before? Oh boy. (laughs) But at least it's a lead that they can use to try to get other information. And so Logan follows it to a Harv Beagle who is married to Catherine Masucci, which is Frank Masucci's sister. And Frank Masucci is the head of the Masucci family. So we've got Frank Masucci at the head of the crime family. We've got his sister, Catherine Masucci, who is married to Harv Beagle. (laughs) And then we've got some other players, which we'll see how they're connected, if they're connected, a little bit later. We're We're all here, right? It all makes sense. We're all not here. Too, not We're too confusing here. yet. <laughs> and and Harv and what's his name, Masucci, mm-hmm. the main one, and his wife are kind of like the only characters that matter at this point. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, besides Piscucci Pips- or what's his name? <laughs> I always forget his Pilefsky. name. Pilefsky. Pilefsky. There you go. <laughs> you were close. Thank you. So uh, they, they go to meet Beagle and he is outside of a church for this uh, Masucci family baptism and he says into he says he's into real estate actually he says I'm into real estate period and he knows <laughs> nothing of the you know quote unquote family business he's just married to to the woman he oh and this guy's placed by this guy's placed this guy is played by an actor named Bruce Altman who I looked at him up because he looked kind of familiar and he is he goes on to be in many 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 things including Quiz Show, Copland, Girl Interrupted, and most recently he's had parts on Ozark, Orange is the New Black, and Mr. Robot. I love Ozark. Did you watch it? No, it's on our list, though. I'm dying to see oh, it. It's good. It's good. Laura Linney is very oh, good in her. it. I always love Laura Linney. Um, excuse me. Did you watch The Tales of Armistead Maupin? What's that? Maupin? I've never even Tales heard of, of that. the City. Tales of the City. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Where she's dragging around that suitcase with yeah. a missing wheel because she's got baggage for yeah. a whole episode. <laughs> we get it. Oh, she's carrying her baggage through the city and it's getting harder and harder to navigate. It's getting in everyone's way. Oh, my gosh. Metaphor. <laughs> I can't. I really can't. But I, I, I'll, I'm going to strike that from her record. There's a lot of good people in that in that show that I, <laughs> that I that like. That you're willing to forgive. <laughs> yeah. So they get him in a room and they're they're questioning him. And he actually does a pretty good job. I think he's one of the better actors in, in this episode. They um they continue to press him and he tells them basically nothing. And so they hit the streets again. Again, another one of these scenes where they just interview someone who tells them nothing. Yeah. The uh the plan they have now, because they strike out everywhere they go, they're going to now hit up every convenience store they can in the area and all these bodegas and just find a place that is selling cigarette packs that don't have a tax stamp on them. And then they're going to just press the owner. Okay. You know, creative. <laughs> That's one way. Yeah. So they, you know, they take, they take to the streets and two hours pass and they get to, finally they find a place. They find the cigarettes. They take the guy in and they take advantage of his sort of inexperience and like they loosely threaten him with jail time. They're doing that thing where like he's not talking. So they talk to each other in front of him like, oh, this sounds like he's going to get a lot of time. Yeah. That's <laughs> like what you do to your kid when you're like leaving a, a, like, a department store and they're not coming. Like it's like, OK, I don't know. We later. might have to leave you behind. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it works. It works. They uh, he's like, listen, I want a deal or something. I need I need to be protected, but I will. I'll tell you, I, I was approached by someone to buy cigarettes. He said he can get me for 
25 cents less per pack. I didn't ask any questions. I didn't want to know. And it was Zolta. You know what I thought was the most unrealistic part of this episode? <laughs> which? Which? <laughs> <laughs> was when three packs of cigarettes was $6.79. <laughs> oh, we actually looked it up. We actually looked it up. I forget what the answer was because Davey used to smoke. So when we were watching this episode and they said something about the cigarette price, he was like, there is no way in the 90s, that's not even that long ago, that they cost this list this little. Um, they really cost very little back then. Yeah. Like, I couldn't believe when he said the price. I was like, no, that's got to be just the tax on it. He's like, no, that was the pack of cigarettes. I remember, I think, when the Surgeon General's warning was forced to be put on cigarettes. I think I remember that, too. I feel like that was like a big deal. Yeah. And I feel like it was in the 80s. And it was one of those things where it was kind of uh, shocking to a lot of people to have, like, the government interfere in whatever and, (sighs) you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But apparently this is like a big industry, and they mentioned earlier it's like $250 million a year industry. So it makes sense that it would be something they'd focus on. And so now they're, uh, they get Zolta, they, he's under arrest, they have him for a small time crime at least. And so Robinette is in the station, and they're presenting the case to him to see if they could take it to trial. And he says they need something to, to at least prove conspiracy and link everyone together or they'll never get Pilevsky. And so back in interrogation again, Pilevsky says he knows nothing about nothing. <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of that. But Grieby says in like behind the mirror, he says, he's like a dirty sponge. Squeeze him and all kinds of scum comes out. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Ooh, good another real good line. Yeah, I like that one. And Logan says, okay, well, we can get you. Mur-. He says to um, Pilevsky, we can get you murder too. And within seconds, it didn't even take anything else besides that. He folds and says he was involved with the assault of the store owner, but he had nothing to do with any cigarette scheme. But he gives them Beagle's name, which is what they needed to connect it all. So here's how the connections work according to what they have. Pilevsky admits working with Beagle, but not to the cigarette stuff. And he admits to the assault. Zolta has truckloads of bootleg cigarettes at Beagle's warehouse, and all of this could lead to the Masucci. So that's where we are. So Masucci's at the top. Beagle is like the next person in line, and he is working with, independently, quote-unquote, with both Pilevsky and... Zolt, no, Zolta? Yes, yes, that's it. Okay, thank you. Oh my God, please edit this to sound less clucky. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how it is. So we got Masucci at the top. We got Beagle next in command. He's got the warehouse that Zolta's using for the cigarettes. And he is in touch and working with Pilevsky in some way. So that's how it all connects. So Pilevsky might not be in communication with Zolta, but they're all together. And this is what they have now. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So they go through a series of interrogations. Again, no one says much until finally Beagle folds in exchange for a deal. And he says that he may know where Russell Mackey is. Russell Mackey, this is the first time we've heard of him. He is a missing union president. I don't know a lot about unions and what the significance of all this is. I'm sure it makes sense. But he's a a big deal and he's been missing. And And his name again was what? Russell Mackey. Okay. So he brings up that... Beagle says in interrogation, he says, I might know where Russell Mackey is. He says, like, do, so can I get a deal if I provide you information on that? And he's talking to Stone, and Stone is like, I don't see how this is related, but if you can get us 
information on Mackie, like if it actually works, yes, I'll give you a deal because that's a separate case we're working on. And he says, okay. So he says that Masucci ordered a hit on, on Mackie through someone named Vinnie Rufo. And Vinnie Rufo is friends with Pilevsky. So does this make sense already? I feel I'm introducing two new people. Russell Mackey doesn't matter very much as a character. Just have to know who he is. And mm-hmm. Vinnie Rufo is supposedly a hitman that works with Pilevsky and was ordered by Masucci. So more connections. Okay. So Pilevsky finally admits to them under harder interrogation next that it's true. And then they arrest Masucci, who seems very unbothered. They like approach him at a restaurant. And he's like, let my friends keep eating. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, in court, Masucci's defense attorney is very, very ruthless. And every witness that Stone questions, he gets up and he's able to like assassinate their character on cross-examination. Yeah. He's really ruthless. He says things to like the the victim, Russell Mackey, who's missing, they talk to his wife and she's, you know, obviously upset her husband's missing, possibly dead. And he's like, maybe uh, your husband left you because you're bad company and no one wants to be around you. I mean, you haven't seen your son in two years. <laughs> so this is like the kind of tactics he's using on the stand. Um, he says things like he talks to um, the brother-in-law of Masucci. So that's Beagle. He talks to him while he's testifying and says, oh, you're testifying against your brother. So much for Christmas dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so rude. Um, they take a uh, beat. Oh, oh, and I looked up this actor too, and it's a weird connection to an earlier episode. So the actor who's playing the defendant, uh, the t- the defense attorney for Masucci, is played by um, Stephen Keats, and Stephen Keats appeared in Death Wish which was the Charles Bronson movie that was so heavily associated with the subway shooting by Bernie Getz. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Full circle. So he says thing. So he's a really powerful attorney, it looks like. And so they take a brief recess and the ADA team starts to like re-strategize and go back into court, figuring out like, how are they going to combat all that just happened? So Stone is like, okay, he questions Pilevsky, who's like the main witness, who he feels like this is the ace in the hole. And he gets him on the stand, and he gets him to admit that Rufo, who we heard about earlier as the hitman, works for Masucci, and that in May, there was a day that he met with him and Mackie after hours, and Rufo garroted him, which means to basically strangle and he with like a wire. Yeah. So he says he was there. It's like, and like the everyone in the courtroom like gasps. And then cross-examination happens and it's uncovered that he was actually bedridden in the um in a hospital for the whole month of may so it's a total lie and the you know attorney goes ham he's like i want this throw it out stone should go to jail burn down the place (laughs) and the judge is like relax but you're right so this deemed a mistrial and Stone wants a continuance. He's begging for it, but it's not granted. Stone got played, 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 played. And um, Stone vows that Masucci will not walk away. And it says, to be continued. So dramatic. So dramatic. Such a cliffhanger. And I was like, well, someone finally got one over on Stone. I was actually pretty upset because I, yeah, I like sure Stone did. usually, with the exception of last episode. So now we're in part two. Are you ready? I am. The conclusion. So <laughs> it opens with the weird, like, it was so funny because I just started playing it and it, it had the narrator voice, like explaining what had happened in episode one, but doing it in a way that made it sound like it was all real. Yeah, it was. It was like, it opened with, um, 
like one of those bumpers, the black bumpers with the white words, but it was like a basically like a recap of the previous yeah. episode. And it did sound like a real case. I feel like they did that in like episode one as well, or like the pilot, where oh, it sounded yeah, yeah, yeah. like a real case. Um, I did like that they did this because, or I did this. <laughs> I do like that they did this because then they also did like the players and they kind of recapped each person one by one. Yeah. And that was very helpful. Yes. <laughs> to the first <agreed>. episode. <laughs> yes. So uh, let's see. Yeah. They do this whole recap thing. I wonder if they'll do that in the future. And then we have the opening credits after this because the recap was pretty long. And we all know. We already know. <laughs> and when we come back, the we're in the courtroom and they kind of set up the scene and they're they can't try Masucci again for the murder for because it's double jeopardy. But now they're in trial immediately already for the assault of Isaac um, Skolnick, which was the original crime that started everything. Yeah. So he is now conscious. He appears in court in a wheelchair and he's able to testify that three months ago, Zolta, who we remember is the import export guy. He came in and he offered him bootleg cigarettes reduced in cost by like 25 cents per, you know, crate or whatever. But mm -hmm. he was sort of suspicious and didn't want to get involved. And so he also identifies his attacker as Pilevsky. And so this is all like the motive, like they, the motive that they've kind of set up is that they thought that this gentleman would maybe out them. And so Pilevsky was sent as like muscle to kind of quiet him up. Mm hmm. Outside the courtroom, Stone talks with Logan and Grievy, and it's it doesn't ever say it, but it's sort of supposed that they won the case. And they're sort of disappointed that they didn't get Masucci. But Stone is really adamant that he will get him somehow. He's going to get him for his heinous crimes, and he lists a few of them, and they're awful. You know, you know, yeah. bad guy. He's a bad guy. So uh, next- <laughs> Like Billie Eilish. <laughs> Duh. Did you see- Okay, I have to interrupt. Did you see that Dion Warwick has joined Twitter recently <laughs> and is doing it in a really, really super funny and self-aware way where she's like, hey, it's like Auntie Dion. I have no idea what I'm doing on this app, like blah, blah, blah. And she says things that are just like so unintentionally funny. Like she she called Billie Eilish William Eyelash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like it, sh she's had some really gold moments already. Ooh, I I want to. I've always told that if I'm going to get into Twitter, because as you know, I'm very Twitter deficient or whatever the word is. Yes. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> people always tell me like you have to follow like certain people, and like Share is always one of them. Um, I think Ellen Burstyn is Chrissy another one. Teigen, Chrissy usually. Teigen. Anyway, uh, I'm going to add her to the list if I ever if I ever can <laughs> figure out Twitter. I I will say I'm glad you don't. I really, really, it suddenly hit me the other day because some people on Reddit were talking about like moments in the book series from our other podcast that they've had spoiled for them. Oh, on Twitter? And I was, yeah, on, on Reddit, they were talking about like, what did you have spoiled for you by like reading something accidentally? And people talked about some of the moments and I was like, oh, I would be devastated if Matt found that out right now. So, so I, I actually would love for you to stay entirely off of the cool story Twitter because I don't want anything spoiled for you. I literally will only go on it to post something. I'll never like browse because okay, before good. the first book ended, there was just like so many characters that were being like referenced in memes that I didn't even know who they were and there was yeah. one character who i did not expect to be a bigger character that was being referenced and i was like well i guess that person stays around so i was like i gotta stop <laughs> yeah for sure yeah okay so now they who's they okay so robinette and stone are now speaking with schiff and they're deciding 
what what their next move is and what stone wants to do is he wants to get wiretaps on all of them mm-hmm. and shift figures out a way they can do this by sort of suppose or putting forth that they held Mackie for hours before anything happened to him according to the testimony on the stand even though it was you know perjury or whatever um that they can kind of use this to try to constitute kidnapping took place mm-hmm. and then maybe get a wiretap and a judge issues this in a meeting between himself and Robinette that plays out like a scene, the scene where Ariel signs away her voice to Ursula, the sea witch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's even like a maniacal laugh that he does. That's exactly like Ursula's. <laughs> so so they, uh, he grants it though. And he's like, all right, good luck. See what you can get. The, they get detectives Fenton and Vitello, who we've seen in a few episodes before, uh, what I remember them most for is telling the suspect in a previous episode where like she was with her dead husband's colleague and they sort of like trailed her. And yes. <laughs> so they're back and I love them because they have good like banter between the two of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> I really wish they were the main stars of the episode, to be honest. They absolutely should have gotten a spinoff. <laughs> but with the intel from the call that these two um, undercover H- undercover detectives are able to sort of get through the wiretapping, which... When they do the wiretapping things, like they're in this van outside, and I feel like all of the episodes we've seen where like the d- detectives are trailing somebody, they're really like right on them in yes. like very <laughs> obvious cop cars and very obvious yes. cop clothes. And this is just another example. They're just like right out. Anyway, so they're wiretapping, and we're meant to believe that these people are like the mafia and the mob who would absolutely be able to, like, clock a cop. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway, so they're in the car. They are listening in on the call, and they trail Beagle with this um, because they see that he has a meeting set up, and they have this really, like, bizarre... So while Logan and Grave are trailing Beagle, they have this really bizarre conversation about geckos that bark... And I almost looked it up, but I didn't care enough. <laughs> they acted like that a was gecko. Weird. Wasn't it weird? Like he said that like some girl he was sleeping with had a gecko and Grievy's like a gecko. And he's like, yeah, it's some kind of animal from Brazil. I'm like, wait, do people not know what geckos are yet? Like it's uh, maybe not. Did we need Geico to teach us? Did we not know? I don't remember. <laughs> never know. I always thought I knew what a gecko was. Not Grievy and Logan. It's like, it's like a, they've just um, come across a dodo bird. So um, they have this weird conversation and then they're watching Beagle. He meets with this woman in the park. Her name ends up being Laurel and they follow her again. Very obviously. I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but it's like literally they're like walking on her heels and (laughs) Logan tries to hit on her in an elevator. I think I'm not sure if it was like intentional or like for real. And she says something like that appears to be cutting, but I rewound it six times and I have no idea what she said. She says something like, oh, buzz off, I guess. She says, holster it, cowboy. I'm not into leather. Oh, my God. (laughs) Holster it, cowboy. And the only reason I know that is because I also went back and I watch it with captions. Thank God, because I was like, I have no idea what this woman just said. Holster it, cowboy. She she (laughs) So it sounded like to me. (laughs) It literally, it sounded like her voice was all sped up, like a fast-forwarding answering machine tape. Exactly. And then after she said it, they're like, oh... Good line. And then uh, Logan calls her a bitch because he's a beast. Uh, right. Total monster. Um, You're hitting on this woman on an elevator who you're trailing, and she doesn't want to be bothered with you, but she's she's a, a, a quote-unquote bitch. 
Disgusting. So she walks away and they trail her again, right on her heels. And she ends up working for the Department of Building Violations. It seems like she doesn't notice that they're following her, even though they literally follow her until she shuts the door on their face. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. But anyway, she just goes on and they're like, let's wait. We'll, We'll get to her later. So she... As they investigate, she happens to have been the person who was in inspecting and clearing all of Beagle's buildings. Suspish. And when they get their own inspector out there, he says there's no way. He says there's a way. And he also mentions there's a wager between the fire and building departments on how many infractions they can cite a month and see who gets the most money. And I yes. thought, yuck, because I, I bet that's very true. When questioned... They bring Laurel in, and when questioned, she um, she shows up uh, having just picked through the wardrobe of designing women, and <laughs> she, she tries to deny everything, but she eventually agrees to testify because they say, listen, there were over 40 infractions on this site that you uh, did for the past two years. You're obviously, you could have been a little bit more discreet. We got you. So she's got little choice, and she agrees. They decide to arrest Beagle off of, you know, having her. And when they do, his wife approaches and Stone says, um, his wife approaches Stone and says, you're going to get my husband killed. Now, his wife is played by the iconic Christine Baranski, who I who love. I love her. The Good the Good Wife was an amazing show. I, I haven't watched The Good Fight, but I hear it's also good. I've never watched The Good Wife, and my parents are obsessed with it. It's incredible. And also, how does she look the same? I swear, I looked up a picture of her today to just see what she's like. I haven't seen her in anything yeah. in a little bit. She, she looks, looks the, the same. same. Yeah. She looks great. She's But she's always had like a, a mature look to her. Yes. Okay, so Stone now takes Beagle and his attorney into his chambers to arrange a deal. And he says that he wants Masucci. But the response is, he, Beagle says, you want Masucci, I want to keep breathing. So, no. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I get. You don't want to die. He uh, he doesn't give him any information, as usual. Another meeting, no information. Robinette remembers now, though, that the supposed hitman, Vinny Rufo, was spoken to on a call by Masucci over the wiretap. Or he thinks so, because he's heard the word Vinny. So Grievy says that they can probably use this criminal. They ha- this is a total random thing, too, that I, I think it's weird they never mentioned till now. Mm-hmm. But they have a guy in custody, that, in custody, in custody <laughs> <laughs> that is affiliated with the Masucci family. And they think that if they offer him some sort of reduced sentence, they could use him to their advantage. So first thing they do is they get Pilevsky. And he says he can't verify if the voice was Rufo or not. He's not going to tell them anything and leave him alone. And then Grievy threatens him with releasing his name to the press for being a rat, which he thinks is, you know, a good tactic to get him to talk since everyone's so afraid of the Masucci family. Mm-hmm. But he says, you're bluffing. You're not going to do it. So he doesn't say anything. The next day, the press release comes out and his name isn't directly mentioned, but it's like very heavily alluded to that he is the informant. And so footage show, uh, and then this is weird too. There's footage shown from the prison yard. And I guess what the plan they had hatched with their informant, they show like a quick scene. It's very, very vague about what he's going to do. But they've planned this, they've hatched this plan with him where, and there's footage of it from the prison yard, which zooms in, which I think is weird. Is that yes. how security <laughs> footage works? Um, but it zooms in on Pilevsky going over and kissing 
Oh, no, I'm sorry. On their informant that's inside the prison, they have him going over to Pilevsky and kissing him on the lips, which has him, like, running away scared. And they're, they yeah. say while they're watching this, this is the Judas kiss, which I looked up, and it's just another term for the kiss of death, which mm-hmm. evidently, I didn't know that this meant this, but, like, evidently in, like, organized crime circles, it's like a symbol, of a visual representation that you do to another member of the family to mark them as a traitor to everybody else. Yeah. Which puts a target on their back now. So he's of course freaking out. He's in prison. He's been marked with the kiss of death and he's ready to talk. And they are talking to him in, in like a prison room. And he's like, I want witness protection. I need everything on my back. I'm not going to die over this, but I I'm scared out of my mind now. And they're like, sure, we could do that for you, but you have to testify. So he says it's always been Frank Masucci. He always makes the orders and it always goes through Beagle first. And um, Pilevsky is, you know, he's confirming everything that they think. But he is also a known liar, which we know. So they know they need a little bit more information than just Pilevsky's word. They go back at Beagle and Stone puts on like heavy, heavy, heavy pressure on him. But the best he can get him to say is that he can give them Rufo's location. Um, if they give him a deal for man too, but he will not testify. And Stone is like desperate in these scenes. He's like, okay, like whatever you can give me, he's on a mission. Very, very, uh, what's that called? When you're like tunnel, tunnel, laser focus, laser focus. Thank you. (laughs) He is laser focused on Masucci. So throughout this whole episode, Robinette, you can tell, is having like very conflicting feelings about the way this is going down. Even Logan and Grievy mention it to, to Stone at one point, like, is this really the best way to be doing this? Like, we're letting people get away with things. But Stone just is insistent. Like, Masushi has killed at least seven people. He's been implicated in ordering hits on so many more. And so I understand, the, he, he says he understands the like idea of like letting people off for these crimes that are important, but they're like big fish is Masucci and getting him off the street will like save countless lives. Yeah. So this is the big conflict of Robinette and he voices it a few times. And at this point he, he kind of like, is more honest, not front with stone. And he insinuates that his aspirations are getting in the way. And maybe like, he's too focused on this like big fish for lack of a better word. And he's forgetting like the whole reason they're in on this and the whole reason right. they even got into this. Um, and he says, it sounds, he's just saying it sounds a little bit like, you know, re- revenge. And then mm-hmm. stone says the Russians say that revenge is the sweetest passion. <laughs> and he says back, well, the Sicilians say it's a dish best served cold. <laughs> and we got like this look on his face. And the Vulcans say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what Vulcans sound like. <laughs> I don't think it's that. No, I don't think it's that either. <laughs> so in the next scene. Oh, and this is what I think. I think that this is the episode title. In addition to like the greed of all the people that are involved who are thing- doing things for money and to save themselves. I think it's also supposed to be like double meaning now with like stone because he's letting his own personal greed about wanting to you know nail Masucci, possibly get in the way of all these other things i bet that's part mm-hmm. of it the torrents of greed <laughs> so the next scene has uh logan and greavy and the two undercover detectives again trailing beagle to his meeting with rufo allegedly um they got this from the wiretap again and so they talk over walkie talkie about <laughs> 
as they're following him, they're talking over walkie-talkie about the food that they think they're going to eat. <laughs> and I normally criticize this, but I was like, I get it. That is yeah. me. They're like, ooh, pasta primavera. Ooh, maybe it's this. And the girl's like, I'm going to leave a 20 on the table. Like, it's just like... <laughs> It was fucking ridiculous dialogue for a yes. TV show, but also if you and I were talking about a restaurant, it would immediately be this. Exactly. Exactly. I was like, I want to criticize them, but wouldn't this be me? <laughs> <laughs> so food focused. So, uh, you know, they they trail him and they find out that he. Oh, oh OK. Sorry, I'm sorry. They trail him and they lose him. They lose him. And it's actually very pathetic how it happens, I think, like a car backs out. And they're like right. instantly like, oh, I don't know what to do. Stuck. And they kind of yeah. like get out of their cars as if they're going to track on foot. But they kind of just like get out of the car and like look around in yeah. just where they're standing. And they're like, in the middle oh, of an man. intersection. Yeah. So they give up pretty easy, but it doesn't matter because they know it was a limo. And so they just talk to the limo driver the next the next next time he's available, which is like the next morning. And he says that the whole ride was very unremarkable and that the guy went for dinner. He didn't even need a ride home. And, you know, the restaurant they go to the restaurant. After that, and their staff doesn't even know who this guy is. They don't even recognize him. So total waste of time for this whole sting operation. But they decide, well, we got to go another avenue. So they visit Catherine Beagle, who is Catherine Baransky, who is Mr. Beagle's wife, a.k.a. Christine Baransky. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Christine Baransky plays Catherine Beagle. <laughs> I was like, is there Beagle. another one? <laughs> <laughs> got it. So Christine is playing Catherine. Um, this is Masucci's sister and Beagle's wife. And so... She says she doesn't know anything about any of this. Um, she's clearly being evasive, but she says, like, I don't know anything about any of this. He never came home. Perhaps he's at, like, our cabin in Connecticut or something. And they're frustrated, but at least they know that he never came home. So they go back to the limo driver, who apparently lied to them, and they're roughly questioning him, like, pushing him against the wall, kind of <laughs> unnecessary. But mm -hmm. he admits he lied, and he says he let Beagle's associate, who had a face like a fist... Um, and Beagle himself take the car and they drove 50 miles and return when they returned the car, it was clean. Or when the other gentleman with the face, like the fist returned the car, mm -hmm. it was clean. Based on all of this, they think that Beagle is probably either hidden away and more likely killed. And if he is killed, they think that Masucci must have ordered a hit on him because that's what he was afraid of. That's what, um, his wife was afraid was going to happen and now they think he ordered a hit on his own brother-in-law. Yikes. They check phone yeah. records and they see that um, his wife had called, I'm sorry, Miss, Mrs. Beagle, the late Mrs. Beagle. Or what is that called? When you're like, the, or the widow? I don't know. I guess she's not um, a widow. We don't know yet. Anyway, so Mrs. Beagle says, um, they check her records and she's called Frank Muscucci, her brother, like a zillion times. So they're like, Widow okay. Beagle sounds like another character from The Crucible. The Widow Beagle. I saw Widow, Widow Beagle. Now it sounds like I'm saying little, but talking like a baby. Oh my, Widow, Widow Beagle. Widow Beagle. Widow Beagle. Did you get a new dog? <laughs> oh my God. It also sounds like she could be like uh, in Canterbury Tales. Widow yes. Beagle. <laughs> Uh, well she she offers um oh she's not there <laughs> she just called her brother a lot there she will be here soon <laughs> okay so they trail they trail her after this um to a meeting with her brother at a restaurant a lot of restaurants here a lot of meetings a lot of restaurants a lot of trailing they're sitting outside <laughs> watching them fight 
after the after they have their meal, I guess, and she slaps her brother in the face. And then I guess this is enough for them to go question her again the next day. I don't see mm-hmm. how, um, but it is. And they're like, why'd you slap your brother in the face? And she's like, mind your own business. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she's obviously very tense now. Um, and it's clear she knows that her husband is in danger or dead. And so she says that... Um, what should I call? Oh, so they. she says she doesn't know anything. She, she's not here to talk about anything. And... Um, they like try to probe her and say like, what happened to your husband? And she's, you know, being very tight lipped until they play this phone call that they have recorded. And it's between the alleged hitman and her brother. And based on the language in it, she it's confirmed what she's already known all along that her brother ordered a hit on her husband. Yep. Her lawyer advises her against saying anything, but she says, okay, I'm not going to testify, but I can offer speculation. And they're like, okay. And she says that there's a place. She goes, there's a place in New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) She says it in the way a lot of people refer to New Jersey. It's very rude. Yes. I refuse to accept this. It's like that when you made me watch that that Lion King thing. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Where they describe the... the, What's that dark area over there? That's New Jersey. You must never go there. So they head across the Hudson and they uh, they go to the site that she just called out and they find essentially a graveyard, a boneyard. Inc- okay. Go ahead. Are, can we talk about how it looked like a set from Pirates of the Caribbean? <laughs> there was literally like full just skeletons everywhere. Like it was it was like night on Bald Mountain. That's how many skeletons were in this scene. It was like a scene from like the Living Dead, Night of the Living Dead. Like, yes, <laughs> there were like just bones everywhere, everywhere. It, it might as well have been that scene in Poltergeist where like the pool, you know, the pool. Oh my god! Yeah. Anyway. Oh my god! Did you hear? I heard that they used real bones for that. Like, I've real heard that too, bones. and then I've I like think I researched it, and it was like unverified. Mm-hmm. Okay. I uh, I thought it was very strange too, especially since they're like, oh, we got a, a recent one, and then they find the body of um. Of Beagle, Mr. Beagle, Mr. Beagle. I forgot his first name, so I said Mr. But they find him there, and uh, he's the, what, the only body that's recent? Every other body is literally just bones, not in any kind of decomposition or decay. It's just bones, and then one, right. one fresh body. Right. And he literally isn't doing a great job of playing dead, because he kind of moves uh, around, and I thought he was alive. <laughs> I thought he was alive, too. <laughs> I'm like, wow, he was buried alive, and he lived. But no, he comes out, and uh, yeah, he's he's passed. And the way they pull him out of the ground, by the way... there's no way it did not ruin the autopsy because they're like pulling him from the shoulder and like, right. They definitely broke his shoulder, pulling him out of there. (laughs) Also, I read that if you're ever buried alive, you're supposed to put your, your shirt over your face so that as you're trying to dig your way out, like dirt doesn't fall in your like nose and mouth. So you can kind of like continue to breathe as you're trying to dig out. That's smart. Handy tip. If you're ever buried alive, (laughs) Also, if you've ever been buried alive, please email us and tell us that story. I would. There was nothing I want to hear more. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing I want to hear more. Oh, my God. A survival story about being buried alive? Please. Gripped. Gagged. The gag of the season. <laughs> <laughs> so they pull out this body and. Um, okay. So they have everything they think they need and they go to Schiff. Uh, and he says, well, you have almost everything you need. You have the body of all this, but um, you need a witness. 
And he's like, well, what do we have? Like, in the meantime, he's remanded on bit, like on $1 million bail. So they feel pretty good about that because all the other bails they've set previous to this were like very affordable for all these people. So they're like, okay, well, in the meantime, I'm going to try to find a witness. And the only person that he could think of going to is, again, um, Catherine Beagle. Mm. But, you know, they've tried like five times in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> And she's not right. she's not willing to work with them. No. So he goes to talk to her and she says to them at one point, I grew up on court. She goes, I grew up in courtrooms on my father's knee. And so she knows that they don't have anything. She knows they don't have enough to go to, to trial and she knows they need her. And he says, you're right. You're right. Um, and she's like, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that and put myself in danger. And he goes, OK, well, then I'm going to treat you as a hostile witness in court and you're going to have no choice. She begs him to not put her in this situation because it's you know, too dangerous for her. Everyone that's gone on to say they would do anything against her brother is dead. And he's counting on her, though, to tell the truth. And he says, I have no choice. I'm going to do it. So next we find out um, in a really weird scene that Stone finds out that he that um, Musucci was let out on bail without him knowing. The bail hearing hadn't even yeah. happened yet, but um, someone had come and rushed to pay the million dollars bail. And uh, the guy who's telling him this, who's ir- irrelevant, lets it slip that it was his sister, which they're shocked about, of course, because they were just talking mm-hmm. to her. So Stone is pissed because he's starting to feel like, oh, no, what if we're getting played again? And he says he's he's going after them. So he heads back to Frank Masucci's place. Is it Masucci or Muscucci this whole time? I'm wondering. I think it's Masucci. Okay, good. Because I wrote I wrote it wrong here as Muscucci, and I was like, wait. <laughs> but I do love that you're asking an hour and a half into the recording. I know, right? <laughs> so uh, they they go to Frank Muscucci's <laughs> Masucci's place. That was not on purpose. Where his wife is there. It was the first time we're meeting her, and she appears to be very clueless. I don't know if that's supposed to be like obvious or not. If she's supposed to like be a master manipulator but she seems to not know anything about what's going on she thinks her husband works in finance or investments or something so they're not getting anything out of her and they go to track down masucci at a restaurant shocking and when they arrive they're again waiting outside in the car eating candy bars oh my god i wanted a snickers so bad watching this episode so many (laughs) candy bars in cars so uh masucci heads into the restaurant out of like this car and they're like okay let's go get him because we're not we're not waiting for them to eat. We've waited enough. As they're going yeah. over to approach them, these two gentlemen in like Dick Tracy clothes come out and they just annihilate Masucci. There's gunshots like crazy and they're holding like the like old school like kind of things you'd see in like old mob movies kind of guns like with the yeah <laughs> the like Tommy thing. guns. Yeah, is that yeah. what they're called? I think so. Yeah, I'll go with you with like the know. circle. Exactly. That's exactly what I was trying yeah. to say, and I couldn't figure out exactly. So they got the circle things. I'm going to say they're Tommy guns. <laughs> I'm going to go with you because you know more than I do. And uh, <laughs> on, not on everything. <laughs> Listeners, I did not just admit <sighs> that I know nothing or anything like that. Listen, I have this recorded. <laughs> I will use it whenever. You know what? The I, best have the, part I have the is? original I can, recording, so I'm going to have I this can, part too. <laughs> okay? I can edit you saying I agree with you into anything I want. <laughs> you just said I agree with you on the air so I could do the same thing. <gasps> Damn it. <laughs> Foiled again. <laughs> it was all a plan. I'm just like uh, the bad guys in this episode. Yeah. So, yeah, there's this huge shootout, and Masucci is lying dead with his associate on the ground, and they get away. And it definitely feels like there could have been like better efforts to stop what was going on. Like, 
there are cops on the scene and I don't know. It just felt like very bumbly. Like these two people get gunned down and the people sort of run away and Logan can't really get them. Yeah. But anyway, Grievy stays behind and he's like, you know, over the, the two dead bodies and it's all very like shocking. It was definitely a twist. I didn't see coming. Davy saw it coming. I didn't, but, mm. um, the bet they all are betting, like not betting, but they're all like supposing that what happened was what had happened was <laughs> Catherine posted his bail for a million dollars. She then ordered this hit on him and then got her money back for the million dollar bail because he's dead or will get her money back. At least that's what they say. And then she flew to Miami. Nice. Bienvenido a Miami. <laughs> Miami. Okay, I like how you were going to sing. <laughs> you did a Miami from Will Smith, and I did the Miami song that the Golden Girls made in one episode. <laughs> That's who we are. So, uh, I mean, arguably, I think more people know you. Well, I don't know. I don't know They're about both that. pretty, uh, pretty famous. <laughs> so um, the episode now comes to an end with Stone and Schiff, and they're in black tie attire outside of a democratic club dinner and stone is upset and he says this is not what i wanted and schiff says he's okay with it and then they say they're gonna head in and tell the mayor and this this episode ends i have zero <laughs> idea what the significance of this ending was and this weird black tie dinner i don't know where they are why they're going in there what this has to do with the mayor there's like a round of applause as happening it's just very <laughs> i don't get it at all at all I think they were just saying, like, they tried to take down this mob boss and kind of had to be like, be creative and bend the rules a little bit. And then it all blew up in their face. Yeah. And so they were like, ugh, now we have to, like, tell the mayor that we kind of fucked up this case. Couldn't they just go to the mayor's office? Why did we have to be outside this weird dinner? I think they were at the dinner when they found out. Oh, I see. Okay, that makes sense. Like, they got interrupted from their... That makes more sense. It's a little yes, strange. they were girl interrupted. <laughs> they were girl interrupted, just like the guy in this episode who played uh, Beagle. He was the yeah. girl interrupted, I think. And I have actually never seen that movie, so I don't really know oh, what happened. I feel like you told me this in a previous episode, and I was so disappointed. Probably. Well, that's it. That's the whole, that's the whole two-parter. That's the whole shebang. There it is. And I, again, I don't Whoop. know a lot. <laughs> were you going to say whoop? There it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I uh, I have no idea what this, this crime is. I, I don't know any crime okay. families besides, like, the Gaudis were a crime family, I guess, I think. Um, okay. That's really all I know. So it could okay. be anything. Well, I will regale you with tales of uh, 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 something. From the crypt? <laughs> <laughs> I will regale you with the tales that astonish next week. Ooh, okay. I'm excited. I am I'm also excited to tell you all about it because you'll definitely, once I start talking about it, you'll be like, I know about this. I feel like I have to. It just, things like this just don't stay in the forefront of my mind because it's not my uh, wheelhouse, so to speak. Yeah, got it. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks for listening and find us on our social media and we'll be back next week with the true crime that inspired these episodes. Yes, we can't wait. And have a happy holiday. Uh, I'm not sure when we're releasing everything, but if we don't uh, talk to you again before you know, the holidays, happy holidays. <laughs> you know what the great thing is, is there's a holiday every month. And so this episode will work no matter what time of year you listen to it. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye.